Welcome back to the Writer's Nook Podcast. I'm Hannah Bauman, editor and writing coach. And I'm Leah Davis, a fantasy and romance writer. And I know a thing or two about professional burnout. Yes, if you have not guessed by the title of this episode, today we are going to be discussing not only productivity, but how to avoid burnout while you're balancing writing, work, and life and all that other good stuff. Which is kind of funny, because this episode was supposed to come out, I think, two weeks ago, if we're sticking to our original podcasting schedule. But life happens. Yes, um, we actually had to decide between pushing um, to get this, you know, 20, 30 minute podcast episode out as fast as we could. We're actually taking care of not only ourselves, uh, but the like other priorities that we have in our lives because everyone has a ton of stuff going on. So we decided to push things back by a couple weeks, take a break, regroup to actually give you guys a good quality podcast episode. More on that later, though. Yes. So Leah and I are both professionals in the business of writing, but our own stories don't get to come first. We serve our clients, we answer a lot of questions, we promote our businesses, and even endeavors like this podcast before we actually get to sit down and work on our own creative stories. While there will always be days where we need to just slow down, we have found methods of meeting our emotional and creative needs while working these many jobs that we have. (laughs) While this can seem daunting, it is a manageable task. We're here to help you find that sweet spot. Yeah, so just to start off with something really heavy and really, really great to get this uh, podcast kicked off, you probably see the word hustle on social media all the time. And I don't think it's even uh, limited, excuse me, to social media anymore, at least not here in the um, the US. Uh, All the time when I'm out just running errands and, you know, minding my own business, I see desk decorations, planners, mugs, all kinds of products with catchphrases about the hustle on them. It's really disheartening because you can't even get away from this idea of work anymore. It's just everywhere. Yeah, when it first appeared, I hopped on this train and was all about getting business done. But now I'm really disenchanted. I feel a little empty when I look at the word. Yeah, me too. And I don't know about you, Leah, but I think there is a big difference between a hustle as in, you know, working hard and working steadily towards your goals and your dreams and actually just hustling to hustle and kind of like fit into that mold. Um, When people talk about the hustle on social media, it becomes this kind of weird bragging, but actually just talking about how much they're struggling contest. Uh, I'm sure everyone here knows what I mean by that. It's like people comparing who stayed up the latest to get more done in college or, you know, who put in the most hours at work, even though it's a detriment to their health. So I don't know about you guys, but I think that idea of a hustle is just insane. It hits social media where all we see are the highlights of people's lives. The hustle became glossy and idealized and perfectly framed Instagram pictures. But, like, obviously that's not the whole image. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget that, too. You know, when you're trying to make content and interact, it just becomes... It's just this whole, like, downward spiral of hustle and glamour and, you know, not the truth. Um, It feels like really in the last five years or so, the hustling has become synonymous with success. And that you have to hustle 
if you want to succeed, no matter what your industry is. Whereas taking breaks has become some kind of like failure mode, you know, selfishness, or my favorite one, being a snowflake millennial who can't handle hard work, you know, regardless of who is actually taking a break. Can millennials kill the hustle now? <laughs> yeah, right. One more thing for us to put down. And I do know that self-care is becoming a thing again, and people are talking about that a lot more on social media. And I do have an upcoming blog post about that. But the hustle is still really in our mindset, and we need to purposefully move away from it. Many of us think that having nothing to do means we're failing. I'm sure we've all heard the glorious phrase, if you have time to stand around, you have time to do XYZ menial work. It's something bosses say all the time. Sure, they're paying you and jobs are important, but the problem is when we take that mentality home with us. When we go home, we're exhausted both mentally and physically, and yet we punish ourselves for not going that extra mile, for not staying up all night to put out a new product for our side hustle. We demean ourselves for doing nothing. Well, here's a secret. Not every minute of your day needs to be filled with productivity. It is an uncomfortable thought, but it's okay to do nothing. And I think it's better to acknowledge why you want to do these things, like these side hustles. There's nothing wrong with it. But as Marie Kondo, the, you know, declutter your house and your life guru says, do these things bring you joy? In April of last year, I attempted Camp NaNoWriMo. It's a version of National Novel Writing Month where writers set their own goals. Last year's attempt sent me spiraling into a pretty bad depression. I was forcing myself to work on a story I wasn't proud of simply for the sake of productivity. If I wasn't reaching a high daily word count on top of my work, I wasn't happy. Forcing myself to sit down was like pulling teeth. I dreaded going to bed at night because it meant I needed to get up and face another day. Another day of disappointing myself. I could write, but I couldn't write this, and it drained me. My relationship with my husband strained. I barely wanted to leave the house. This year, I reached my NaNoWriMo goal, and I even flew past it. So what was different about this year compared to last year's attempt at this? I changed one thing this year. I allowed myself to write any words. I didn't just quiet my inner editor, but I told myself that there was no difference between getting down a thousand words and getting down 200 words. All that mattered was that I was showing up when I could. Often we feel overwhelmed by all the things that we think we need to have gotten done. Our minds make the list out to be much longer than it actually is. Yeah, I find that when I'm keeping, or excuse me, when I'm not actually keeping track of what I must get done and what I've already done, I get sucked into this abyss of there's so much to do in so little time and I'm just going to fail and never do anything else productive with my life ever, which obviously isn't true, but you know, it's easy to get into that mindset once you start the downward spiral. So the first thing that I always remind people, especially my clients who come to me when they're feeling really close to burnout where they're really crazy stressed is to take inventory of what needs to be done. Like what actually has to be done is the world going to end. If you don't work out and finish up that beta read that you promised somebody, 
no, it's not. So if you have to pick between the two, pick the one that absolutely needs to be done, which is probably going to be the beta reading that you promised. I think that applies to any situation. You know, some days I'm under a deadline for um, client edits that I'm working on, but I also need to do laundry. The world's not going to end if I don't do the laundry because we still have clothes to wear in our house. So it'll be fine. And I have to prioritize work sometimes. That's just how it is. Yes. Shockingly, the world won't end if your massive to-do list isn't completed each day. Well, at least for most people, like you and me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, world leaders aside and other, you know, crucial life-saving tasks aside, you are going to be just fine if you take a few minutes to slow down. When you're hitting that point of panic, doom, and gloom, set aside a moment to draft a list. Um, Even if you aren't a fan of to-do lists, sometimes just writing it out can, you know, clear your mind out and give you a, like, it's like hitting the reset button. So clearly define your goals and the steps you need to take to achieve them. When you have this clear definition, you can actually check off tasks Um, you know, one after the other. It's like a domino effect. And since the goals are usually broken down into little tiny steps when you actually write it all out on paper, it doesn't seem so bad. And then you can start progressing forward and getting a sense of fulfillment with each task that you finish. I think for me, that's the biggest thing that helps me stave off burnout and not feeling overwhelmed. Um, I really wish I could show you guys my daily planner and my to-do list. I know this is a podcast, so I can't actually do that. But I'm going to add a few pictures on um, this episode's show notes on btleditorial.com. And I've also got some resources on goal setting and tracking that I will link to there. But my point is that you can keep it super simple and still be just organized enough to you know, keep track of what you got to do and kind of fight off this burnout monster. I have this nasty habit of setting huge word count goals for myself. When I sit down to write, I feel the pressure to pump out thousands of words in a single setting. I tell myself I have to do this every day on top of my day job, on top of housework and mental fatigue. My brain is so strung out from my daily lives, from relationships to day jobs to budgeting. Yeah, I think, side note, budgeting will never not be a, you know, huge source of stress for most people, just as I'm sure that maintaining any relationships, you know, friendships, romantic relationships, what have you, and managing a day job or other daily responsibilities always adds this extra level of potential stressors. And I'm sure everyone can agree that no matter what generation or background you're from, that's just universal. Being alive comes with a lot of baggage. It really does. (laughs) Recognizing that my goals can be met in a number of steps has helped me thwart burnout. Why slog word by word towards 60,000 words when I can coast from 10,000 to 20,000 and then so on and so on. Yeah, that's exactly the right idea. Breaking those big word counts down into tiny little chunks makes it seem way less daunting. Um... Writing 5,000 words 10 times is way less scary than just write 50,000 words. I don't know if you've seen those memes on Instagram where it's like you're on the treadmill and you want to do it for a half hour. So you keep telling yourself it's just 10 minutes three times or it's, you know, people breaking it down like that. It's 
it's goofy, but writing's the same thing, right? If you break it down, it doesn't seem so bad. I do that all the time at the gym. God, me too. I hate the treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like to refer to one of my favorite authors. Victoria Schwab often breaks her writing into several kinds of days. There are days when you'll be able to get words down, and that's great. That's not all that needs to happen when you're writing a novel. On other days, when you can't find time or space to write, you can brainstorm instead. These days dedicated to thought can help uncover plot holes, enhance character arcs, and really get to the meat of your story without the pressure of getting the perfect words down. Don't let the hustle mentality fool you. These days are just as productive as days that can be quantified by a word count. I think there's also a third kind of writing day that we often ignore because it seems like it's not even a writing day, but that's your rest day. That's right. You can actually count resting from writing as working towards your goals. When you're in a creative field, especially, you often run the risk of depleting that creative well of ideas and energy and all the things that go into putting out some kind of creative piece of work. And when that happens, when you run out of all that energy, writing becomes that much more difficult than it already is. And that's why taking it day by day every now and then... By every now and then, she means once a week, bare minimum. Maybe even twice a week. Yeah, for sure. Writing, like literally always writing or brainstorming something every single day is bad advice. I see that all the time. Writers write every day. I mean, I guess maybe some people do and that works for them, but I can guarantee that for the majority of people that doesn't work. So instead, do something that has nothing to do with writing. Pick up a new craft, like painting or pottery. You can take your partner or your friends out to see a movie. Go explore your nearest city. Go for a hike. Just do something that's not related to your writing projects in any way. And don't forget that taking in new content adds fuel to your own creative well. So I personally really enjoy video games, but especially ones that are geared towards storylines. So like role-playing games, not just, you know, Fortnite. Um... Yeah, I don't even like Fortnite, but I'm talking specifically games where you have to, you know, work through quests and work through a story. It's like living a novel, right? And when I play those, I not only get to do something fun that I really enjoy, but taking in those new con that new content, those new stories, these new characters, all of that then refuels my creative well and kind of gets my inspiration going again. And another thing for me is getting fresh air. It really helps clear my mind and calm my body. So I count playing tennis as a great way to refresh myself. Yes, it is very intense exercise, but my brain loves that break from words and screens and everything. My personal favorite lately has been hitting the gym with my favorite history podcast. I know it's not getting outside, but we take what we can get. Hey, same idea. Move your body, get out of the house, whatever. Yes. I personally love Stuff You Missed in History Class and History Checks because of the dual hosts, kind of like us, and how they feel like a conversation with friends, like I'm hanging out with somebody while I'm listening to a story of history. Yes, if you love history, we definitely, both of us, can recommend Stuff You Missed in History Class and History Checks. They are super fun. Um, and a nice break from from fiction. Um, 
Also, every Saturday I play Dungeons and Dragons with my husband and our friends. I know it sounds you really nerd. nerdy. Get out of here. You play WoW. <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, the improv storytelling game is a really fun way to flex creative muscles without worrying about meeting a quota or pleasing someone. If I fail at an aspect of roleplay, I just make something else up and the game moves on and we kill a monster. Oh no. Uh, another thing I like to do, and it's fun to do with someone else if they like it, is watch anime. It, nothing too great, but it's still fun. And I, I did learn, though, that I can't watch with subtitles when I'm really stressed out, because it's like adding more reading to my day, and then my brain turns to motion, I fall asleep. Yes, I love um, K-dramas, Korean drama shows, which they can be, you know, funny or like romantic comedies or actually dramatic. It, that's just the genre is called K-dramas. But I'm the same way. If I'm feeling extra stressed out, I can't read the subtitles because I don't speak Korean. So that's reserved for days when I do have energy. Um, but this mentality of taking breaks and not having to hustle all the time, it really helps lighten the burden that we put on ourselves. However, it does not address the days when we do need to put our butts in our chairs. I think the whole self-care idea is really good, but I think it's also dangerous because it could flip to the opposite side of hustling all the time and that you should always be doing self-care and never working. You definitely have to strike a balance. I'm kind of in that hole right now myself. I'm thinking... I have one life. I'm going to go live it. And I haven't written in a few days. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, God, That I'm going to be that way this weekend. I can already tell you that uh, because my fiance is off work for two extra days. So we have a four day weekend. Nothing, you know, creative is going to get done then because I'm just going to be hanging out. But it's definitely something that you have to be aware of striking this balance. So anyway, but writing days can feel stressful because they require setting aside time and finding the right conditions to put ourselves into our world and our story. So it's really important to figure out what productivity, in air quotes, means to you. That depends on your goals, of course, and your actual availability and the time that you can spend doing this. Is trying to write a 90,000 word novel in 30 days realistic? Not for most people. But a productive writing schedule could be writing 5,000 words per week, and then you can be flexible based on how your schedule for the week works out. The key is to actually stick to the goals, of course, and to do that, you need to manage your time well. By implementing time management strategies, maintaining perspective, and tracking your progress, you can avoid drowning under your own expectations you might find that you're already meeting them, but moving the bar higher and higher on yourself. I think it's so easy to say that we don't have time for something. Just think of how often you do that weekly or daily, especially when you're stressed out. I know I'm guilty of that thinking, but I don't have time. But really, it's just about being smart and being efficient. And time management is not as hard as you might expect, nor do you have to organize your life into 17 different Pinterest-worthy planners or bullet journals. That being said, I am type A by nature, and I really love to organize. And my art teacher in grade school used to have to take my ruler away from me because she wanted um, to teach me how to loosen up a little and not need everything in, like, perfect straight lines. So 
the point of that is I definitely do color code my three different planners, but you do, yeah, you don't have to do that to actually manage your time well. And you don't have to be super organized to learn how to do this. It's little baby steps. I personally am a hot mess. The most unorganized person I know, aside (laughs) from my husband. Trying to add structure to that kind of life can feel hopeless. And I promise you it's not. Take baby steps. Don't try to implement all of our advice at once. Do it little by little. Track what you're getting done in the meantime. Having a list of what you've accomplished can feel really satisfying and help bolster the changes you've made. Count all the little things you've done from feeding the dogs to walking the kids. Wait, no, that's backwards. (laughs) Yes, that is definitely backwards. But... You are right. One of the best ways to get started with managing your time and organizing your stuff is to take stock of what you already do. That way you can feel more confident moving forward. It's just like word count like we just talked about. Break down the big to-do list into baby steps so that you can see not only how much you've accomplished, but also what tasks you might get done quickly. Maintaining perspective is a huge help in my day-to-day work. I often beat myself up for only getting so much done. But when I list the individual items, I realize it adds up. It also drains me at the same time. When I think I'm not getting a lot done, I'll push and push, exhausting myself. By tracking what I've done and recognizing those milestones, I can better allow myself time to recharge. And that could even be five minutes between uh, writing sessions, a little Twitter break, going downstairs and running to the bathroom. Yeah, breaks and, you know, not pushing yourself come in many forms. And I think we've all been to that point where we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing because we feel like nothing's getting done. Um, In the perspective of, but look at all the things I did get done today, you know, when you can see it all on a little list somewhere, um, that's a lot better than look at the few things that I didn't get done today. And batching your tasks from your to-do list is another one of my personal favorite strategies. So in case you didn't know, I work from home full-time, and I often feel a tug between my work and chores that could be getting done. Do you need to write, sweep the kitchen, catch up on your audiobook, and do laundry? Perfect. You can batch those. Listen to your audiobook while you sweep the kitchen. Write while your laundry is washing and drying. It's You can combine things like that and multitask when... One thing requires brain power and one doesn't. That's one of my favorite ways to actually get a little more done every day. Yeah, I would like to reiterate the one thing needs brain power and the one doesn't. Definitely make sure you double up things that won't compete for your attention. I learned that I can't listen to audiobooks while driving busy highways after a near accident outside Baltimore. I blame the horrible narrator for a song of fire and ice. But that's besides the point. (laughs) While you might be able to listen and drive on your commute, don't try to listen to an audiobook and write at the same time. Those two things are going to clash and your time will become nothing but frustration. You know, I can't even imagine trying to listen to like an audiobook or a podcast while I write or while I work. I can only do that when I'm doing some other brainless thing. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But... 
So I think you guys can see time management really isn't about doing the most things and having a pretty planner. It's about making smart choices like batching up tasks that can be done at the same time, congratulating yourself on things that you've done well, and recognizing that at the end of the day, you are only human. We all have 24 hours in a day and we all need to eat, drink, and sleep to function well. If you don't sweep the kitchen because you were just too tired after a super long day, the world isn't going to end. And the same goes for writing, actually. Some days it's just not going to happen and that's perfectly fine. That doesn't mean you can put it off forever because if you do want to write a book, you do have to sit your butt in your chair and have a little bit of discipline, but a little bit of flexibility and understanding towards yourself can go a really long way. Work guilt, man. It's a hell of a drug. Don't let it win. You don't have to be working every day of your life. You've been given one life. While you might want to use it to write hundreds of other lives, you still need to live your own. When you do, you will find that you have so much more material to work with. And hopefully you aren't suffering from burnout too hard. And I really hope that this little podcast episode gave you some ideas about managing your time and your goals and about being, um, you know, more compassionate towards yourself. So on that note, Leah, do we have any listener mail today? I think we do. Today's first listener question is brought to us by Celine. Hi, Celine. <laughs> she asks, I'm feeling very insecure about my writing, and I keep putting it off. What do you suggest I do to jump back in? Any tips or tricks to overcome imposter syndrome? Oh, that's a really good question, and a really tough one, I think. Um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. If any of you follow me on Instagram, uh, last week I made a post about, you know, suffering from imposter syndrome and kind of this fear of the unknown and, you know, trying new things. I think it's something, especially in creative careers that we all suffer from at some point or another, or even in cycles. For example, in my own writing and my own business, I always feel especially insecure about something when I'm trying to do something new. I do always find the courage to try it at some point, and then I do get comfortable and I, you know, find a way to make it work. But then I always end up going back into the cycle of now it's time to try something new again. And then all of those bad feelings come back up. The fear of the unknown can be really rough. Yeah. Both my husband and I have been suffering with this imposter syndrome. It stems from a different kind of place. Uh, while I write books, he writes adventures for role-playing games that we play together. For us, we both worry that our intended audience will be bored with what we really want to work on, so we try to force ourselves to work on other things. This is really demotivating. It can lead to pushing our work aside. I think in both cases, we need to focus on writing for ourselves. Give yourself over to what it is you really want to be doing. There's no use in fighting your creative urges. Write some super tropey world building or an entire chapter of useless flirting. Yeah, those are the best. <laughs> feels good. And that yeah. good feeling can really help bolster your image of your writing altogether and get you excited for your story again. Altering your perception of a thing is totally possible. Yes. And when it comes to changing perceptions, I think you also need to change your perception of failure. So imposter syndrome is about feeling fake, like you don't belong, like you aren't 
a professional, like you aren't good enough. And those all go back to fear and failure, right? But you have to remember that failure isn't really a bad thing, which is something I, it's taken me a very, very, very long time to learn that lesson. And I still relearn that lesson probably like four times a year. But failure teaches you what doesn't work so that you can figure out what does work. It takes you from the wrong path to the right path, which in the end is how you actually get towards your goals. So when it comes to writing, you can experiment and fail for as long as it takes to find what feels good in your writing and what works for you. And if you want to take it from this like kind of creative nebulous thing with writing and move it to something more concrete, failing is literally what scientists do and like what inventors do, right? They think something's going to work, so they try it. They usually end up failing, you know, however many times and then they have to start over with, okay, what's a different way I can approach this? But they still come up with really amazing products and inventions and, you know, all this great technology around us and medicine and all that. So why can't we look at writing the same way, right? And if you're afraid of the word failure, you can just say it's all part of the process. Yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, the process is messy. So don't be afraid to to feel the imposter syndrome, but to know that you can work through it no matter how many times it comes back up. So then our next question is from Natalie. She asked, what's the biggest mistake writers make in the editing process? I'm sure Hannah and I are going to have two very different answers. (laughs) Mine, from a writer's perspective, is starting too early. When you're trying to get words on the page and you're editing yourself as you go along, your process is going to be very stunted and feel imperfect. You're going to worry that you're never doing anything right, that you're never going to be happy with what you're seeing on the page. If you let yourself go and fly forward with drafting, then you'll actually have something to work with later. Don't edit too early or else you won't be able to meet the end of your first draft. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And then I have two more points to add. The first would be when you are self-editing, you know, whenever that feels like it's the right time for you, If you want to take something out of your project, do not just hit the delete button uh, because you never know when that material might actually be useful in the future and why delete words and like waste all that work. So what I like to do with those scraps that I know don't really fit now, but might fit later, I have a document for whatever project I'm working on where I just put the scraps in like you know each one gets its own little section and then when I'm feeling stuck sometimes I go back to that and I can pull little bits and pieces from it so I think that's one thing is don't actually permanently delete anything and then my other answer to this question would be from a professional perspective if you are going to work with an editor or with a writing coach whatever one you think you need Please don't just hire someone on the internet who says that they're an editor or a writing coach. Um, People can claim they're anything nowadays. So I would say make sure you do your research and try to find someone that you feel like you can trust and has, you know, a decent portfolio and some testimonials so that you know what you're getting into. Because I do, I've recently had a flood of clients who are coming to me as their second or third editor because they're, you know, their previous ones were like just not legit. So definitely do your research so you don't waste your time or your money. Julia asks, what made you get into editing, Hannah? Oh gosh. Um, so baby life story here. 
when I was like six years old, um, one of my teachers gave me a notebook because I would finish all of my work super early in class. And she, you know, had to distract me some way. She told me to make up stories. And I'd always loved reading when I was little, but being encouraged to write my own stories really set me on this path from a very young age where I knew I wanted to work with writing in some way. And then when I was in college trying to figure out if I was going to, you know, be a journalist or, you know, what have you, or some kind of like corporate communications person, I took an editing course and my professor in that class, Dr. Bickley, he just took me aside one day and was like, you seem to have a really natural talent for editing. I think you should pursue this. And I think you need to go into this graduate program that we have when you're done with the semester. Uh, so yeah, I basically kind of stumbled into editing by accident, even though I knew I wanted to do something in the writing field. And here we are six, five, six years later at the time of this recording, <laughs> not super glamorous, but uh, I think, you know, it was an happy, a happy accident. So I think what we should get out of this is if you're an, an adult listening to this podcast and you interact with someone younger, say something nice about what they're doing. You don't know how you could change their life. Yeah, definitely. I'd be in a very different place if I had not had Dr. Bigley as my professor uh, that one semester. You never know what's going to happen, kids and adults. <laughs> I think that's all we have for today. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to subscribe for the Writer's Nook podcast on your favorite app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions like we just answered or want to chat, you can find us on social media at Writer's Nook Pod. Leah's is at LC Davis author on most platforms. I am at BTL editorial and you can send us an email directly at podcast at BTL editorial.com. We love hearing from you guys and we hope to interact with you on social media. See you next time. Thank you to www.purpleplanetmusic.com for our intro and outro music.